The Difficulties in Mental Prayer, Episode 1. Brethren in Christ, Laudetur Jesus Christus in Secula. Happy Tuesday in the octave of the Ascension. Today we begin our spiritual reading series for the Fellowship of St. Anthony. This is the first episode. This episode is going to be public to invite others to join the Fellowship of St. Anthony. This is our penance group. This is the group of people that um, offers up penances for clergy and seminarians. This is our effort as a lay apostolate. We are all lay people. This is our effort to really do something for our brethren who are clergy and seminarians, offering up reparation for bad clergy, but also petitioning God for mercies and graces for the good clergy and the good seminarians, that they may have strength to bear this heavy cross in our time. So this group is uh, part of the Meaning of Catholic Guild. If you want to join the Fellowship of St. Anthony, there is a penance requirement. It's a light penance requirement during Paschal Tide, and then there's a different one during after Pentecost time, uh, which is offering up abstinence Wednesdays and Fridays. But you can join the fellowship if you join the guild. So go to meaningofcatholic.com slash register to join the guild, which is a financial contribution to this apostolate plus daily prayer. And then the fellowship, and you can join the fellowship from there. Once you're in the guild, you can join the fellowship. But this is the, uh, we're going to be reading Boylan's book, uh, the Father Eugene Boylan, Difficulties in Mental Prayer. This is the book we'll read through starting today. Um, so I will be posting these videos to the Fellowship of St. Anthony. You can only access them in the Fellowship of St. Anthony from here on out. But this one will be public just so we can invite everybody to this penance group. So let's, let's begin our reading. Difficulties in Mental Prayer, Eugene Bolin Preface. There is a prof process used for printing pictures in color, which involves the making of separate blocks for each elementary component color in the picture. The prints from each of these blocks are superimposed on each other, and if the relative strength of each color is correct, the result is quite natural. If, however, any one shade is all is too weak, then there is, is corresponding defect in finding re final rendering of the true color, which might perhaps be corrected by an extra printing of the weak component. Now, the purpose of these pages is something like that of the extra printing. It is not that the standard presentation of mental prayer is defective, but it would seem that the impression of mental prayer that many souls have received needs to be strengthened in certain colors. That purpose explains the irregular extent of treatment, which the reader will notice in these pages. The subject of method methodical meditation is only outlined as there are more than enough excellent books dealing with it in great detail besides the souls of whom this for whom this book is primarily intended are those who cannot succeed with the usual methods of meditation as well as those who once were able to meditate but now find that it has become an impossibility to do so in order to fit this extra printing into the general picture of prayer the whole subject is at least outlined certain phases which seemed to need more detailed treatment being dealt with more extensively. 
But there is another reason why we have insisted on including a discussion of such states of prayer as those which we have called the prayer of faith, and why we beg the reader, whatever may be his position on the ladder of prayer, to read the whole work. Whatever may be said about the general law of the development of prayer when observed and averaged among a large number of different souls, most individuals find that their path advance is extremely twisted and shows rapid and extensive variations. It would seem, therefore, that except perhaps at the very beginning, an acquaintance with the nature and technique of all the different stages of prayer is not only helpful at any stage, but even necessary at all of them. Despite the title of this work, it is not a scientific analysis or a classified catalog of the various difficulties that may arise in prayer with a complete practical solution of each one appended in its proper place. Its purpose is rather to discuss the nature and ways of prayer, not with scientific objectivity, but from the point of view of the individual looking at it as it appears to him. In this way, it is hoped to put the soul in position to deal with the most with most of his own difficulties. Further, the primary purpose is not so much to instruct the reader as to encourage him to press on in prayer and to induce him to seek further information from the works of more competent pens. That is why the treatment of the subject is so condensed, so much so that it will need a second reading to extract all we have tried to say. This rereading is all the more advisable from the fact that the earlier chapters will be more easily understood in the light of those which follow. At the point, as to the point that is so well treated in many other works, it is assumed that the reader is aware of the necessity of mental prayer. A Christian who does not pray is like a man who neither thinks nor wills, a mere animal in the spiritual life. The pursuit of perfection is utterly impossible without mental prayer which of course may be made quite unconsciously. In fact, it may be said that if a man does not pray, he cannot save his soul. We must insist that we cannot regard the active life in the religious state or in the priesthood as one which precludes the soul from advancing and advancing far in the ways of prayer. On the contrary, the religious state, if it be truly such, should both lead a soul to progress in prayer and, to, and be a continual help to him to do so. The essential and primary purpose of the religious life is the perfection of each individual religious. Otherwise, it has no right to the name. Now, the purpose, the pursuit of perfection is exactly what is needed to make progress in prayer possible, while in its turn, prayer is the very best means of seeking perfection, and all the more so when it is progressive. The same reasoning is valid with regards to priests living in the world, although their obligations in the matter of perfection are somewhat quite different, and despite the fact that difficulties they have to face are quite considerable, Nevertheless, all that we say of prayer, even in connection with religious, applies with no less force to their case. Even though we personally have less direct knowledge of their problems, a chapter on the prayer of priests has been inserted lest clerical readers should imagine that their hopes of progress in prayer were considered to be any less than those of religious. Nor do we think that even lay people by their life are debarred from hoping for such progress in prayer as we indicate in this book. Anyone who is prepared to serve God with goodwill and devote sufficient time daily to spiritual reading and to prayer may reasonably expect to grow in friendship with God, which is progress in prayer. The difficulties of the laity in the interior life need more detailed treatment than can be given in this book, but they are not insuperable and need not prevent any lay person of goodwill from trying to lead an interior life of prayer even in the world. Further, we are quite definitely opposed to the theory that there is no state of prayer between ordinary methodical meditation and passive contemplation. 
as we hope will become evident from these pages, prayer seems to us to be the result of a progressive intimacy and friendship with God. If prayer cannot progress, then neither can friendship. This point is of great practical importance, for false notions in its regard may turn a soul away from all hope of achieving union with God. In course, in course of what follows, we will try to show how this union can be sought for and found by an ever-increasing intimacy with Jesus in prayer and in work. This leads to a view of each exercise of the religious life as a meeting place where the religious is sure not only to find Jesus, but to be able to be united to him. Now, this view is the best remedy for what is perhaps the state of the greatest misery on earth, the misery of half-hearted service in religion. For it puts the otherwise weary and monotonous routine of the religious life in an entirely new and captivating light, offering new strength and new purpose to many souls. It will be further found that the division of prayer into well-marked and clear-cut stages has been to a considerable extent avoided. Definitions, too, when given at all, are often loose and sometimes vague. This, however, is quite deliberate. There is no use in trying to be more definite or more clearly classified in our notions than is the reality of prayer itself. Now, prayer, especially from the individual's point of view, can often be very indefinite and quite unclassifiable. Further, even if there does exist a well-marked ladder of prayer for each individual, it is by no means necessary, at least as a general rule, to know on which rung one is standing. The important thing is to avoid standing still and to keep on climbing. The fact that the same difficulty often reoccurs at different stages in the progress of prayer and that the same principle finds many applications in the course of the spiritual life, has led a number of repetitions in the text. In a book written to meet the needs of individual souls in which views its subject from different points of view and attempts to deal with the many standings and wrong notions that can be met with, such repetition seems justified and will, we trust, be pardoned. No apology is made for making what can only be an imperfect attempt at the difficult task of outlining the teachings of St. Paul on the indwelling of the divine persons, and the baptized soul and the soul's incorporation in Christ. This doctrine was the foundation of all the apostles' teachings. It still is an unrivaled foundation for a life of prayer and would appear to be not only the best encouragement for it, but also the surest ground for hope of its achievement. In particular, St. Paul himself testifies that the Holy Ghost helps the infirmity of our prayer, and many theologians see a close connection between the operation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost and the development of prayer. That the pursuit of prayer involves the pursuit of holiness need cause no one any doubt as to the possibility of its achievement. When our Savior rose from the dead, he had taken on himself, triumphed over every possible obstacle in our past, in our future, in ourselves, or in our surroundings, which might interfere with our holiness. The agony that broke his sacred heart in the garden was the thought that, after he had done and suffered so much, far more than was ever necessary for our holiness, we should render his blood useless by our cowardice and by our failure to believe in him and to trust in him. The greatest value that we can set on Christ's sufferings is to believe that they can make holy even such as we are. We must, in fact, fill up the things that are wanting in the resurrection of Christ in his body, in ourselves, by letting him rise in us through our holiness. If there be any grace, any good, any help in these pages, it is due to the intercession of Mary, the mother of Christ. It is due to the grace of the Holy Spirit, who works in the most unworthy priest. 
It is due to the sufferings of Jesus Christ who merited all graces for men. It is due to the mercy of the Father in heaven who wills to restore all things in Christ in whom in the unity of the Holy Spirit is all his glory. To their name be all honor and glory forever. September 8th, 1942, Feast of the Nativity of Our Lady, the Abbey of Mount St. Joseph in Roscoria. End of preface. Next week, we will cover chapter one. God bless.